Good morning, Connection Point Church. I am so excited to be with y'all online, live on our new online uh, campus. I'm so excited just of all that God is doing during this time. And uh, we're in week six, I believe, of this series, Training Days, Prepping Every Day for the One Day. Now, it's week six, and, and this is kind of one of the first times I think we've done this as a series where we're just going through this book. And I'll be honest with you, I think we're a couple of weeks from being done with it, but as the Lord shows us, we're, we're just going to make sure we go through this book. And so today we're kind of just taking the topics as they come, and it may be week six of this series, but as we all know, it's like week 600 of this pandemic we've been going through. And so there's no better time than to to just go through a book where they were going through similar struggles back in the day, back in the day when the church was brand new and they were trying to figure out what it's like to follow Christ. And so that's basically what we're doing, and uh, it has really been speaking to me. And today we're going to get into chapter 4. We'll probably spend a couple of times in chapter 4. And the interesting thing about chapter 4 is it's about suffering. Now, this, you may think, ah, oh, that's just what I need is a sermon on suffering. And we're actually going to spend a couple of weeks talking about this. Now, good news is, is that it's an encouraging word and there's actually a lot of power that we're going to discover today. You know, I think back to this topic of suffering when I was a, a youth minister and I remember sitting across from uh, this young girl, a middle school girl, and tears just flowing down her eyes and in her, down her cheeks. And as she's talking to me, she just says, I just never thought I'd have to suffer like this. And I could see the pain in her eyes. And I was like, well, just tell me what's going on. And she just began to tell me how her boyfriend of two weeks had broken up with her. And she just couldn't believe it. And then she found out that she had, had made second chair, not first chair. And it was just, she couldn't understand why God would let her go through this. And it was just, as she began to go through all of the tragedies in her life, I just remember thinking, okay, I'm going to sit here with a straight face, but let's be real on what suffering is. The truth is that I've sat across from some people who will tell me about their suffering because their house didn't sell on the first week, or they're, they're suffering because you know they, they didn't get the upgraded XL package on their car they wanted to get. We, we sometimes throw that word around suffering without really thinking about the history of that word. And so as we dig in today, I want to kind of dig into this idea of suffering and how God uses suffering. Now, I just want to be honest with you. This is kind of an unusual message for me. Sometimes when I preach a, a message, it's, it hits real close to home. And so when we talk about suffering, I just want to be, be real honest and transparent with y'all this morning because y'all are on here live. In fact, I've, I've enjoyed uh, just already seeing the interaction with y'all. Joey just saying, uh, the God of the mountains is the God of the valley. And, and sometimes we forget that when we think about this topic of suffering. But I know that uh, all of you on here right now, and I, as I'm looking down here uh, at some of y'all that are on here, I just know that, man, we have suffered together. Some, some of us have really suffered together. Some of y'all, I've walked through addiction uh, with y'all. Some of y'all have walked through depression with. We've walked through family tragedies. We've walked through cancer diagnosis. We've walked through some hard things um, as, as a church together. And so sometimes it's, you know, we throw that word around suffering and, and, it, and we make light of it. But sometimes we go through suffering and we get news that we just never thought we'd get. We get family, family tragedies. We get those phone calls that we never thought we'd get. 
And I'm just going to be honest with you. One of the difficulties with me personally as a, as a pastor is I'm a verbal processor, which means uh, I say things out loud. That's the mo- probably the most dangerous thing about me is I'm a verbal processor. And sometimes even as I'm preaching, y'all, I'm processing. And so I just want to be honest with y'all. Right now, man, I've been processing this, uh, this scripture this week. As I've been preparing this message, I've been having life go at me. And I'll be honest with you. Um, I've been waiting on a, on a biopsy of my own for, uh, for skin cancer, and I've also, I went to the doctor this week, and I got a battery of tests done, and man, some of those things this week, I've been wrestling with some of these things. I just want to be honest with you, as I preach through this today, uh, it's been, I've wrestled with this. My wife will tell you, I got up early this morning and just kind of had to rethink this message just because my life has kind of been shaken up a little bit this week. Now, I just want to let y'all know, uh, uh, some of the good news, my biopsy uh, came back and it was cancerous, but they got it all during the, the biopsy, so I don't have any more on, on that. So that was kind of exciting, but like I said, I got a battery of tests back this week, and man, I just kind of had this weight hit me of, man, that's not, it's not supposed to happen. I'm, I'm not supposed to you know, feel uh, anxious about things like this. That's not the way it's supposed to go. I'm a Christian. Sometimes I, I feel that. And so I just wanted to set this book, 1 Peter, into some context today. And so I'm going to start off by reading uh, from Acts chapter 12, just to remind us some of the context that Peter is going through when, when he's writing this letter to these Christians. This is what Acts chapter 12 said, and this would have been set about the same time that, uh, that Peter's writing uh, 1 Peter. It says, about that time, King Herod laid violent hands to some who belonged in the church. Some who belonged in the church, so these would have been Peter's friends. He killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And when, they saw, when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of the unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him into prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers. And so, one of the things that Peter is fighting through as he goes through this is he's not only being in prison, and by the way, they, they put him in prison with four squads of soldiers because he had actually escaped prison a couple of times. And so uh, they knew this time, hey, we got to put extra soldiers. And Peter, in Acts chapter 12, he escapes miraculously again. God delivers him. But you know, we read Acts chapter 12, and if you read the whole thing, it's, it's a fantastic story of how Peter is delivered from, uh, from a, a, a leader who wants to, to um, make him suffer, who wants to persecute him. But sometimes we, we jump over that first part, that Peter was delivered, but James was killed. James was killed, and, and and we just kind of get a verse about that. But James, who had walked with Jesus, who had suffered with Jesus, who had seen Jesus on the cross, and who had seen Jesus rise from the dead, and who had proclaimed Jesus, then everything asked of him. And James was killed because he followed Christ. The interesting thing is Peter is delivered until eventually Peter is also going to be killed by Nero. And we're going to talk about Peter's death next week. But one of the things I just want to remind us about being rescued by God or living life as a Christian is God will always rescue you until he doesn't. And we need to keep that in mind. Is God may rescue you today. He may give you a favorable diagnosis today, but it will keep going and keep going until it doesn't. All of us face this certainty 
that someday we are going to go through an experience we don't want. Jesus looked at Peter one time in, the, in Peter's life, and he said, Peter, someday somebody's going to take you where you don't want to go. They're going to put you in clothes you don't want to be in, and they're going to lead you where you don't want to be. And that's the truth for all of us as we follow Christ. And so this, this topic of suffering is such an important one. Now, I believe with everything, every bit of my heart, that, that following Jesus makes life better and he makes it better at life. If you follow Jesus, Jesus makes life better and he makes you better at life. But that is not all. Jesus also makes you ready for the next life. And we cannot take our eyes off the fact that as Christ followers... We have to expect some suffering in this world and not just the suffering of inconvenience. And, and it's hard for us to understand this topic of suffering because many of us haven't suffered the way that some of those um, before us have suffered for Christ. But the expectation in this day when Peter's talking, he's talking as we are going to go through suffering, but God is going to use it. So let's jump in and I want to just kind of show us how God is going to use this idea of suffering in your life. And you may be right now, you may truly be going through some suffering. This pandemic has wrecked jobs. It has wrecked lives. And beyond that, we still have a lot of this other, you know, just normal life. We're still going to the doctor. We're still dealing with family dynamics. We're still having relationships and marriages that have to, you know, that have to continue. And so all of these things, as they fall, some of us may be suffering. I fully understand that. And so I just want us to get into 1 Peter chapter 4 with this understanding of Peter is there with us. He sees suffering. He knows it's hard, okay? 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased to sin. Now, we're going to break this down a little bit, but I just want to, to, to show you a couple things about this verse that are going to kind of be our, our springboard. Now, he says in here, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh. And remember when Peter is talking, Peter isn't just throwing out verses. Peter is throwing out memories. Christ suffered isn't something he heard about. It's something he saw. Remember, it, it tormented him his whole life probably that he had this moment where he saw his best friend dying on the cross and, and he ran and denied him until he was reinstated. That, that tormented him. But even after that, you've got to understand, he saw Jesus on the cross. He saw these things. These are memories to him. And that's why when you read 1 Peter, I'm just going to real quick remind us, if you go through 1 Peter, every single chapter, 1 Peter is going to, to mention that Christ suffered. And, and 1 Peter chapter 1, he says that uh, the Spirit of Christ predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glory. In chapter 2, we read, remember, he says, for, it is that, for this you have been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his step. In other words, if we're listening and paying attention, all along, Peter has this message, hey, Christ died and suffered for you, and you're going to follow in his footsteps. You are going to go through suffering. In, in, verse, or in chapter 3, he says, for Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So we saw it in first chapter 1, we saw it in chapter 2, we saw it in chapter 3, and then he starts off chapter 4 with, since therefore Christ suffered, be ready, with arm yourself with the same way of thinking. 
And I'll just give you a glimpse. Chapter 5 starts off. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ and as a partaker in the glory that is to come. He says, listen, I saw these things and I know that not only did I see Christ suffer, I know I'm going to have to suffer as well if I follow him. And we don't like to talk about this a lot, but it makes a lot more sense when you actually live life. If you read Peter and you understand, Peter talks about suffering. Peter gives us this expectation that it's not all roses, that, it's gonna, that you're going to go through suffering if you follow Christ. And so he gives us this challenge. He goes, so we're going to arm ourselves. And now, most of us, when we think about suffering, we think about uh, it, it is kind of something being done to us. It's something that, that we would never want to go through. But when the early Christians, and when Peter talks about it, he says, listen, arm yourself with the same way of thinking that Christ did, that, that he's suffering intentional. He knew he was going to go through suffering, and he were actually able to use suffering as a weapon. And this is what we've got to understand as Christians. We can use suffering as a weapon. In fact, I want to start us off just by showing you three ways, three ways that a Christ follower uses suffering as a weapon. Okay, three ways. The first way, and by the way, just to, to clarify when we talk about using it as a weapons, it, it, weapons aren't always physical. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says this, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are of the divine power to destroy strongholds. So remember, suffering may not seem like a weapon. But it's, it's, you know, it's not, we, we would much rather have a sword and defend ourselves being controlled. But for some of us, we need to, you've been through it and you understand one of the strongest things that you have in your life is when you've been through suffering and you have the mind of Christ that God can see me through even the hardest parts of my journey. The first thing I want to show you though, the first way we can use suffering as a weapon is that we can identify with Christ. You see, suffering identifies us with Christ. Now, no one would choose this. I want to be clear. No one would choose this. But there's something powerful about identifying with the suffering of Christ. This is what Jesus said in Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. He says, he called the crowd. Jesus called the crowd to him. And as he called the crowd, he said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And then listen to what he says. He says, For whoever would save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for the sake of my gospel will save it. In other words, we're going to have to be willing to even give up our life when we follow Christ. That is something that we don't like to talk about. We don't like to, to, to remind ourselves that none of us gets out of here alive and that when we follow Christ, sometimes it is a way of suffering. You know, that's, that's when Jesus went to the cross, that's what they call that. They call it the way of suffering. That's the, the road he took out. And for some of us, that's the road that we are walking down. You see, suffering identifies with, with Christ, and, and this is an important idea, especially in the early church. In the early church, whenever they would suffer, they would view that as that means I'm going the right direction. Now we kind of look at suffering as uh, if I'm suffering, I must be doing something wrong. I can't believe God will let this happen. I can't believe God would make me go through this. 
I want to read from you a passage from Eusebius. Eusebius was an early church father. In fact, his pastors were some of the apostles, some of the people that actually knew Christ. And this is what he was, um, this is one thing he wrote when he talked about some of the people he had seen that had given their lives. There were people you may have never heard of, but they've given their life because they would not deny Christ. He said this, he says, they were zealous in their imitation of Christ. Though they were brought back to prison with, uh, from the wild beast, covered with burns and scars and wounds, yet they would not proclaim themselves martyrs. So they had been uh, thrown into the Colosseums, they had been tortured, and if they didn't die, they would be brought back to prison. And he said, anytime you talk to these people who had gone through torture and would not uh, recant, would, would still proclaim Christ, anytime you, you would go to try to comfort them and call them a martyr, he said, they would correct you. He said, if any one of them, if any one of us in a letter or in a conversation spoke to them as martyrs, they would rebuke us sharply. And they reminded us that the martyrs had already departed. And they are martyrs who have already been deemed worthy by Christ taken up in confession. And they sealed their testimony, uh, but we are lowly, humble confessors. In other words, they said, there's a tear here of suffering. And we're just lowly confessors. We're not even worthy to be called martyrs because Christ has not, has not given us the ability. He has not given us the opportunity yet until which we can give our lives and suffer the way Christ did. What's incredible about these early Christians is you see some of them, there was a church father, Ignatius. Ignatius, when his, uh, his church members heard that the Romans were coming to, to um, kill him, and going and to martyr him. They tried to hide him and tried to sneak him away. And he said, no, how dare you? How dare you try to rob me of this opportunity in which I'm going to be able to give my life and suffer with Christ? That was his mentality. You see, we chose following Christ, not because it was easy, but because it's hard. We know we're going to go through suffering. But you've got to understand that every time you go through suffering, you get a glimpse of what Jesus went through for you. And that is a powerful, powerful weapon for a Christ follower to know that Jesus died for you. He went through pain for you. He hurt for you because he loved you so much. And there's some times when we're going to have to do the same for others. And, and, and the exciting thing about this is that those of you who have suffered, who have been through this, you know Man, there's something about your faith that is strengthened when you go through suffering, and you can't get that faith. You can't have that unless it's gone through the fire, and you just can't experience it. The second thing I want to show you is that, is that suffering releases us from sin. Suffering releases us from sin. Now, in, in the end of verse 1, it says, those who have suffered in the flesh have ceased from sin. That translation is not the best translation. A better translation would be, have been released from sin. What's the difference? Uh, the context of, of why I say it's not the best translation is there's a difference in the Greek between an active uh, and, and a passive verb. And this would be a passive, not an, it's translated as an active verb, but it's not. It's a passive one, meaning you've been released from sin. And there's a difference in the nuance here, Okay. Because if you, uh, if you cease from sinning, it makes it sound like, okay, I suffered, now I don't even sin anymore. And that's not exactly the, the mentality. Some of us wonder why we struggle with sin. But it's really, if you've been through suffering, you know there's a, a release sometimes that comes in which your mind has been transformed so much that you no longer desire it. I think of the, the prodigal son. That's a great picture of what, this, uh, of what this means to be released from sin. 
You see, there was this story that Jesus told in, in Luke, and he tells a story of a father who represents God in the story. And, and, the, and the son comes to the father and says, you know what, I don't want any part of you. In fact, he, he basically says, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. And the father who loves his son says, okay, here's your inheritance. And, and the son runs off. He wastes all the inheritance, and he finds himself at the lowest moment of his life. He finds himself in a, in a pig slop with pig slop and he's, and he's eating with the pigs and he just finds himself just in this horrible position. And then something happens. He does what we call repent. He says, you know what? I no longer want to be here. I want to be back where my father was. And even if I can't be where I was in the same position as a son, I would rather be a servant with my father than eating with the pigs here. There's no, there's nothing here. And so in his mind, he turns back towards his father and he finds out there was nothing holding him there with those pigs. And he's released from the pigs simply when he repents and he says, I'm going back to my father and whatever happens, I'd rather be with him. That's what the picture is for us. Is if you're suffering, if you're going through this, you just begin to see, you know what? I, I can turn my direction. I can be released from all of these addictions, all of the things I've been struggled with. Nothing's holding me here once I have the power of Christ in me. Once I turn my heart to God, you can be released from sin. You see, some of us, we struggle and struggle with sin, but we've never really suffered. We've never really felt the consequences of our sin. And it makes it hard, and, and I can't explain it. Until you go through it, it's hard to explain but some of us are going to struggle and struggle with sin until the weight of the consequences gets so great, we'll never be released. We'll never truly turn our heart to God and feel what the power of God can do inside of us. But, but Peter says, listen, you guys are suffering. You guys are going through something I would never want for you, but you've found that you're able to be released from this. You see, sometimes suffering releases us from our sins. It, it, it frees us up to live a life that is holy to God. The third thing I want to show you is this, is that suffering sets us apart. Suffering sets us apart. Now, in verses uh, two through uh, four, or two through six, he goes on to say this. He says, so live, because you're suffering and because you no longer think about the sin, so live as the rest of your time in the flesh, the rest of your time on earth when you're following Christ. He says, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. You see, you can live set apart from the way you used to live. He said, for the time that, it, that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. And he's using the word Gentiles, meaning those that are not following Jesus, those that are far from God. He says, the Gentiles want to do those, but they were living in sensuality and passion and drunkenness and orgies and drunken parties and lawless idolatry. And I know some of you are thinking, man, that sounds like a lot of fun. But understand that everything worthwhile would be destroyed if you live this way. You could not have a marriage if you were partaking in, in drunkenness and sensuality and orgies. You could not have any real meaning in life when your, your friendships would never be sustained if you only had friendships through people who, you, who you're with your partiers and the people were only there in the good times. You see, he says for us as Christians, there's something more worthwhile. There's something better that we live for. He says, with respect to this, they are surprised when you don't join in them with the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. You see, suffering sets us apart from your friends and from the people who are not truly with you and will not suffer with you because you don't live like them or the things, you don't live for the things they want. And so he says, this is why, um, he says, but they will give account 
to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So it sets you apart from your friends, but it also sets you apart in judgment. Understand that. That it sets you apart from your friends on this earth because they're going to malign you. They're going to think you're weird. They're going to they're mock you. But there's a time coming after this life in which you'll be a set apart and you'll be glad you're set apart. He says, for God is going to judge the, the quick and the dead is how the, the King James says it. He's going to judge the living and the dead. You got to understand that this life will never make sense apart from eternity. And if there is no judgment day, life will never make sense. Why do good people struggle sometimes and, and, and people who are not with God, why do they get to live these lives selfishly doing whatever they want? But there's going to come a time, and I believe the most real moment in your experience ever is going to come on this judgment day. Is going to come when God sets apart and looks and sees, why did you live like this? And the next verse can be confusing until you see it in context. It says, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. Though, though, they, though they, judged, they were judging in the flesh the way they are, that they might live in the spirit the way God does. Now, this is not meaning that they preached to people who had already died. What it's talking is about... Uh, uh, what it's talking about is... Sorry, I'm stuttering. I'm, I'm so excited about these verses. He says, when you're, when you're spiritually dead, even when you're alive, and you know people like this, you may have even been like this. Ephesians 2 says it like this. God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved. See, we need to understand is that some of us are dead spiritually, even though we're living in the flesh. But there's going to come a time that we might be dead spiritually, even though we're, we're alive before Christ at this judgment day. And so that is why we evangelize. That is why we do everything we can on this earth to make sure we're reaching out, that we're living a life separate from our friends because we know they will be judged just like we will. A lot of us think this judgment day is going to be an awful, awful day. And for some it may be. But I want to remind us as Christians who are suffering and going through suffering is that this judgment day for us is kind of a release. We're going to get to heaven and we're going to see people that we love and we missed. Yes, that's going to be a part of it. But we're also going to see people who suffered and struggled. And it's going to be, we made it. Man, what a relief. We made it. We're here. We climbed the mountain together. We made it. And it's going to be this, man, God is so great. Man, look what God did for us. And, and remember in Ephesians 2, he says that it's all done by Jesus on the cross. But there's this release when we get to heaven, I believe, where God is going to say, you know what? Well done, good and faithful servant. You struggled. You suffered. But it was worth it. Now, as we continued, I want you to see kind of the mindset behind uh, suffering. In verse 7, it says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So he says, listen, there's going to be suffering. And, and as you suffer, remember, the end of all things at hand, is at hand. And one of the things you've got to understand is that in the early church, when Peter is writing this, he fully expects for Jesus to return while he's there. They did not think. If you were to tell them that 2,000 years later, the church is still going on, we're still waiting on Jesus, they'd be like, really? I thought he was going to be here like next week. And that's just the mindset. But as each decade went by and then centuries began to go by, the Christians began to kind of wait. In fact, in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, he actually says, listen, remember, he's answering this question. He says in 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, he says, 
remember that a day to the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And he says, I'm just waiting because I want more people to come to know eternal life. And so it's a blessing from God that he, that he didn't come back that week. He wants more people to be with the presence of God in heaven. But even though there was this mentality when he wrote, as the centuries go by, we see Christians that still embrace this idea that my life can be taken any day. You know, there's a story uh, in the early church of a lady named uh, um, Perpetua, okay? And I think I'm saying that right. Or Perpetua, it's one of the two. We'll call her Perpetua. That sounds uh, a little more like a lady's name. But Perpetua, one of the things that's interesting about her is she wrote a diary of her experience in a prison cell. She wrote a diary, and her father, who was rich, would come every day and say, hey, will you just say you're not a Christian? Just pretend you're not a Christian, and they'll let you out of jail, because they are going to throw you into the Colosseum, and you are going to die if you do not do this. And every day, she would say, I cannot do this. This is who I am. And her story of what happened to her is she was thrown into the Colosseum a few times, actually. First time, she was thrown in, and they put a net over her so she couldn't move. She couldn't escape, and then they had bulls that would come in and trample her. In fact, she was thrown into the air and gored. And when she landed, all she tried to do was to get her tunic back on and to keep her modesty. And she went over, and this was a woman who, before they sent her out, had beheaded her infant child in her arms. And she knew suffering was coming her way. But yet after being gored, she walked over to a slave and she helped the slave up. And the next thing they did is they released a jaguar into the Colosseum. And the jaguar didn't go after her. It went after another man. And this man fought this jaguar. And even though he survived it, blood began to, to cover the Colosseum. And so the crowd, after seeing this and seeing these women that had been going through this, began to to cry for mercy. And so a young man who was the executioner came up with a sword. And when the the young man got to Perpetua, he stabbed her and it did not kill her. It hit her in the bone, I think. And so she simply looked at the boy and she grabbed the sword and she guided his hand to her neck. And she helped him slice her neck because she knew If she was going to follow Christ, she knew where it was going to take her at that time. She lived her life every day knowing, eventually, I'm going to have to be more worried about the next life than this life. You know, we see see stories and we hear stories like this and we think, I could never do that. But what I want you to see is that courage is the mark of a Christian. Knowing that you're going to suffer doesn't mean that it has to be a miserable existence. In fact, when there's meaning behind it, suffering is a powerful Tool. And so I want to end this sermon by giving you three ways in which we can, in which we can have courage. Because here's uh, what I want us to ask ourselves. This question, am I motivated by fear or courage? Am I motivated by fear or courage? Because let's be honest, some of us are thinking 2020 is the year of fear, right? In fact, I got some memes I want to show you real quick, okay? I want to just show you some of the, I I just did a quick search for memes, uh, and I'm going to show you the first one here. Memes of 2020. If 2020 was a bag of chips, it would be orange juice and toothpaste, right? And some of you are like, yes, amen. In fact, y'all tell me which of these is your favorite. Look at the next one. The next one says, me being prepared for 2020, that was me. I was ready for 2020. I was like a knight in shining armor. 2020, and then the, the, the first January comes, right? February comes, and then March. Oh my gosh, they are right through the head. All right, go to the next one. 
All right, everyone keeps making jokes about how 2020 is going to keep getting worse, and then it continually does, and you get Steve Harvey, and then, you're, uh, and then it continues to do that. Some of us, that's how we feel. There's six more months of 2020. How many of us are excited about that? Yes, about the same as in here. The last one, if we were to rate 2020, it would be one stars, very bad, would not recommend. You see, there's this narrative of, of fear that is driving. But for me, I hope, if you chose a word at the beginning of the year, you can go ahead and type that in because I'm going to give you a new word. I hope when you think back to 2020, I hope your word is courage. The word for 2020, I think, should be courage because for Christians, this is the time when we get to, to, somebody's going to look back on us and say, during the pandemic, they're the ones that ran into the fire. They're the ones that served. Look, there are going to be three ways here in which we are going to be able to show up and show courage during the pandemic, okay? I'm going to read 8 through uh, 11. It says, above all, and he's talking about suffering still, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love shows, uh, love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Underline without grumbling, by the way, in your Bible. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's grace. For whoever speaks of one of an oracle of God or whoever serves or whoever serves by the strength of God that supplies in order that everything may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and dominion forever. Amen. So we have three things that were mentioned right there that even in a pandemic, you can show courage. The first one is love one another. You know, that's such an excuse of, you know what, I wish I could go over and, and go out of my way. But now there's no better time in which you can love one another. And the word I would give you is just show up. Show up in people's lives who are hurting. Love one another. Ask, you know, I've asked more people now in this time and found out that they're going through things. I found more people who struggle with addictions I didn't know they have. Maybe it's alcohol or whatever. And I haven't, I haven't been judgmental because I understand it is hard. And so what I've done is I've just said, you know what, I'm going to love them through this. The next thing he said is he said, show hospitality without grumbling. Hospitality is when you kind of wake up and you're able to say, you know what, I'm going to invite people in. And right now we can't invite people in the way we might want to. But you can get creative and say, you know what, even though it's dangerous, we're going to be wise. I'm not giving you free license. We're going to wear a mask and social distance, but we're not going to use this as an excuse to quit ministering to people, to quit showing hospitality. You know, this past week I got to take a, um, I got to take a, um, a meal to a family that just had a baby, the Detlef Domagowski. Hey, y'all. I had and so I, uh, I got to see their pretty little baby, and it was awesome. Yay. Y'all say, give a shout out to Detlef. I don't even know if he's on here right now. But uh, hey, Detlef. Um, but anyway, it was just an, it was awesome as I walked up, and I know that the night before and the night before, they had gotten meals. In fact, it's funny, we'd all given chicken, and so when I said, hey, I'm bringing you cowboy chicken, and Detlef's like, hey, thanks for the hospitality, can you not bring chicken? And I was like, yeah, so I, he got country burger. But hey, that's one of the things that we do, even in a pandemic, we show up, we've got to show hospitality. I believe there's more courage now for Christ's followers to go into the fire for us to say, even though I'm suffering, I'm going to make sure I'm loving one another. I'm going to make sure I'm inviting people into my life, even if it's hard. And the last one is we're going to still serve one another. If you've gotten gifts from the Lord and you've said, you know what, I wish I could use my gifts, but you know, there's a pandemic, I can't. I just want to remind you that that's, that's, an, that's an, an opportunity for us to be courageous not for us to be cowardly. It's not, hey, I don't, I don't have to serve anymore because there's a pandemic. What can I do? 
Now, I'm not giving you free license to, to go and I'm not saying have a party at your house and everybody get two feet away and stir each other's coffee and stuff like that or whatever you're drinking. That's not what I want. But I do want you to quit looking at, at 2020 as a, as a give up and instead say, you know what? This is a time where I might need a little more courage. This is a time where, where some of us need to, to take some risk and say, you know what, that person's hurting more than I am. I'm going to risk some things so that I can love them well. That's just the truth. You know, we've got school coming up. There's, there's courage that's going to be needed all around. And so we're going to, to, to lean into this. I, I'm, when I think of this idea of serving and loving one another, even when we're suffering, there's a person that comes to my mind, and that's Joni Erickson Tata. If you don't know who Joni Erickson Todd is, she, uh, when she was about 18, she had a diving accident. She was a healthy uh, young person, but she had a diving accident, and she was a quadriplegic, and she lived her whole life. All right, she's still alive. So she, she's lived her whole life without the use of her limbs, and she's like 70 years old now, I think, and, and so for most of her life, she struggled. But what's encouraging is she talks about how every single day, even though she suffers, she still, she still preaches the gospel. She still gives hope, and she longs for the promises of God, and that's what she holds on to. She says, whenever I, I'm discouraged or whenever I'm in pain, I serve others, and I think about all those promises in heaven. And so I want to close us reading one of the verses that she said, this is what I go to when I'm suffering, and I still serve people. This is Isaiah 40, 31. She says, those who wait on the Lord, or actually God says, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Can you imagine the encouragement if you can't use your arms and your legs and you read this promise? Hey, we may suffer in this world, but we know there's another world to come and our suffering will produce a faith that is gonna be honored by Christ. We give him all the glory. Y'all, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much that even in the midst of a pandemic, we can have courage. And that courage isn't from us. It only comes when your Holy Spirit gives us this courage. Lord, a lot of us question whether we would have enough strength to give up our lives for you. And we'll never know that unless that moment comes. But Lord, let us not close our eyes to the opportunities we have to have courage in this moment. Lord, we may suffer. Someday we will get that phone call we dread. Someday we will go through something we never wanted to be a part of. But when we get to that moment, Lord, give us strength, give us courage to not just worry about ourselves, but to use it as a way to proclaim you even more, knowing that someday we'll stand before you and you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And even in our sufferings, you will give us relief. You will give us peace and we will see those that we hadn't seen in a while. We will see the martyrs that went before us and paved the way for us and there will be a reunion like we could never believe and they only experienced it because we were willing to suffer and trust you in our suffering. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.